Hello and welcome to the R2P Podcast. I'm Running the Places founder and artistic director, Joey Steenhagen. Take a moment to locate your nearest emergency exit, and please remember no flash photography during the podcast. And now without any further ado, on with the show. First order of business is to introduce my lovely and talented co-host, dear friends, it's the one and only Tucker Davis. That's right, it's me. What's going on? Not too much, Tucker. How about you? I'm doing really well. I think, you know, it's really exciting today, the new studio that we created. Yeah. Uh, right here at the Just Because Center uh, studio recording. We should take a picture and put it on. Oh, I'll share it on our Instagram. Yeah, because it's very fancy. Check out our Instagram and see whether or not we followed through and did that. But um, you're going to hear it. We're experimenting with sound. This is, you know, we've only been done, doing a few episodes of this. We're figuring out our setup. It's going to get better every time. Uh, but we are in the dance studio at the Just Because, surrounded by folding tables that we have stood up to try to create a little sound barrier. Well, then i got to take a, a selfie. Okay, yeah. There, when you go on the Instagram, you're going to see this picture and be like, oh, that was the moment they took that picture. Hey, how's it going? Ah. Better angles. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, look at that. Don't I look comfortable? <laughs> Here we are in the studio. Why did you notice we matched today? We, like, matched today. Look this, at that. This is great content for an audio medium. Yeah. Out today. <laughs> well, they'll oh, see it when they go to Instagram. They will. But last, I just want to show you, look how good I'm getting at shadow puppets. Look at this one. He's actually not doing any. Although, I will nice say. Nice yes and, Tucker. Joey, um, I don't want to lose the trust of our fellow, of our, of our followings, Fair. our very loyal followings. But you, Joey does do shadow puppetry. I do. Yeah, I found some recently. Yeah. I think it was from... Oh wait, we did we did shadow puppets in James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, is that is the that, one you were talking about? That's it. Yeah, the where the escaped rhino eats uh, James' parents right in the first two minutes of the children's play. Well, you know, up first. Wait, did that really happen? A rhino eats his parents. Yeah, that's how the story begins. I don't remember that. I didn't see that production. Wait, what was it called? James and the Giant Peach. The sidewalk where the sidewalk ends. That's Shel Silverstein. Oh, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's shadow puppets in that, too. There are. There's shadow puppets circle. in everything. You know what, Tucker? What's up? Up first, as always, is news and updates, all the latest and greatest of what's going on in the world of R2P. What's going on in the world of R2P, Tucker? I think we have uh, these, like, little mini auditions that are going to be having virtually. Uh, you'll be getting information about that if you're on our mailing list on how to audition for a program we are calling R2P to go. Um, RTP to go? RTP to go, um, which is being uh, spearheaded by our intern and company member, Corinne Ford, as well as us, as we are just trying to get music out to the community in lots of different ways. So uh, if you're interested in performing uh, between now and the spring, RTP to go. Uh, next up, I want to just put out a call to our community. It, running to Places has been fortunate enough to have the support of so many businesses in our community, businesses like Trust Company, who supports and sponsors every episode of the R2P podcast of 2022, as well as we've had support from CSP Management uh, all through the years. Uh, there are businesses that believe in doing well while doing good. Uh, if you happen to have one of those companies, if you happen to work for one of those businesses that would like to do some good in the world by supporting a youth community theater nonprofit, then drop me an email. Send it to joey at runningtoplaces.org. That's joey at runningtoplaces.org. And we would love to partner with you for that. 
Uh, last thing we want to cover in our news and updates for this one uh, is just a little bit of a reminder and some uh, clarification, some updates that R2P Unplugged is coming at the end of this month. Our first one of the year is going to be January 31st and February 2nd. That's a Monday and a Wednesday. R2P Unplugged is where we take a play that we may not be doing in our regular season for one reason or another uh, anytime soon, but it's still worth diving into. And so we do read-throughs and sing-alongs virtually on Zoom. Uh, they're going to be the last Monday of every month and then the following Wednesday. Sometimes that falls into a different month. Um, that's why I didn't say last day of the month. I don't know. Look at a calendar. It'll make sense. Tucker, you know what play we're going to be talking about? I know what. Well, you know, plays with music are called musicals. Is that right? Mm-hmm. When did that I know. Happen? I just learned that. Neat. I know. Uh, it's a new thing they're doing. Uh, but the, but we're doing, we're doing, do I say it? Say it. West Side Story. Not East Side. Not South Side. West Side Story, which is, it's a very important musical. Um, and just sort of had a revival with the movie version, so we're excited to dig into it and talk about it. And and also with the recent passing of Stephen Sondheim, I feel like it's been getting even more. I almost forgot about that. Yeah, that is oh, crazy. Goodly. Yeah, which is interesting because Sondheim did not do the music; he did the lyrics. Yeah, like what a powerhouse show that is! Like source material, Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare, music by Leonard Bernstein. Mm. Lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. Who, honestly, too, when he did West Side Story, he was nobody. He was very, very young, and he didn't have another hit for, like, many years following that as well. It's unbelievable thinking, like, that's how his career kind of Mm -hmm. began, West Side Story. As a lyricist, because we always think, I mean, he's obviously done a lot of lyrics as well, but we always think of him as this intricate composer, right? We think of him as 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 a composer more than a lyricist, but, yeah. So if you want to dive in deep, for West Side Story, read the script, sing along the songs. And we'll have stuff up for that online. We already do, I'm sure, once you hear this podcast. We'll see. If that <laughs> line was not edited out of the podcast, then it must be true. Or I was sloppy in my editing. Uh, hey, it's time for listener does questions. Does that make you a sloppy Joe? Oh, oh it does. <laughs> Dang it, that took way too long to come up. Can we take the pause where I thought about that joke out? Yeah, do you want to do you want to take it again? Sobby Joe. Hey. hey. <laughs> it is time for listener questions, Tucker. Every episode we answer questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question you want answered on the podcast, you can email it to podcast at runningtoplaces.org, or you can record a voice memo on your phone and email it to podcast at runningtoplaces.org. Or you can put a message in a bottle and throw it out into the ocean. We might find it. And then we'll read it. Yeah. Just like this question, which comes to us from Sarah T. So this is the question from Sarah T. Sarah T says, we are new to the area and looking for theater opportunities for our kiddos. Can you explain to us what exactly R2P is? Yes, Sarah T. First of all, welcome to the community. Uh, We hope you like it here. We hope you're gonna like it here. Anyway, that's from Annie. That's the musical Annie. And Sarah, that's my welcome gift to you uh, in song. Please don't leave. (laughs) So uh, R2P stands for Running Two Places. And yes, we use the convention R, the number two, the letter P. Running Two Places is a youth community theater nonprofit. We put on shows. We do plays. 
But really, if you were to ask me, and I guess you just did, uh, I would answer really that it's a youth development organization. Uh, first and foremost, we think of our jobs as helping raise our community's kids, where theater just happens to be the form that it takes. Um, Theater conveys life skills that will benefit people whether they ever set foot on stage ever again. Things like working under pressure with a deadline you can't move, taking an assimilating direction quickly and gracefully, improvising when the unexpected happens. Learning and preparing as part of a community. While still being an important individual yourself. And so these are such valuable lessons uh, that we think every young person will benefit from. It's part of the reason that we think it's so important that running to places remain free for every student, that there's no financial barrier to entry, because what young person does not deserve to have experiences like that and, and to develop skills like that? We think no young person should be excluded from that. But on top of that, we, we put on shows. Tucker, why don't you talk about what we do? We sing songs. <laughs> we do dances. We have a lot of fun. We build community. It's a safe space. Now I'm going to wax poetically. Do it. But it's a, it's a place where you can be brave and where anybody can come as they are, be who they want to be or who they are, and, uh, and you're going to find people that just want to be around you and accept you just like you are. We talk on the very first day of rehearsal for any show. Uh, I, I'll stand up in front of the entire collected ensemble and dare everybody to be the weirdest kid in the room because it can't be done. Uh, the person next to you is just as weird as you. We're all residents of the island of misfit toys at Running to Places. And I think that we do our best to cultivate an environment where not only are differences like that tolerated, but they're celebrated, mm. they're, they're welcomed, uh, and, and the things that might make you feel kind of like a, an outcast outside in the rest of the world, um, you literally get applause for. <laughs> yeah, and like creativity takes a ton of space, right? Like you have to have a lot of space to try things and to develop your creative thoughts. Um, and so I think we do a really good job at that is keeping the space open for you just to exist as you are. And on top of that, all the while you are learning to sing, you are learning to dance, you are learning to act, uh, you are learning best practices for rehearsing theater. Uh, for what happens when you get into the theater during tech week and learning how to be a performer. But again, all of those things are what happens. Those are just the byproducts of becoming a citizen of the world, ready to contribute to society in whatever path you yeah. follow. And then also, too, like if you uh, have a kid or if you are a kid and you don't want to be on stage, we have lots of opportunities that are off stage as well. It's just really... A special place. So if you are interested, there is a place for you. When we have auditions, which is the way that you get involved in the onstage part of it, we take everybody. No experiences necessary. Like you can come in and you can totally bomb your audition. You can forget your monologue. Happens every time. You can cry. That's happened many times. You can hysterically laugh. But that happens all the time. Yep. You can just exist and do nothing. I've had, I remember there was one time where we had a student come in to audition and I said, oh, so do you have your a song ready? And they said, no. And I said, oh, okay, that's, that's okay. Do you have a, a, a monologue or something? Nope. Uh, my friend just called me like a half hour ago. I was asleep. I was napping and they said, you should come down to audition. I don't have anything prepared. And we said, 
Great, welcome, you're in, you're here, we'll find a place for you, we'll teach you the rest. There really are no requirements, there's no prerequisites, just come on down and play. You know what that sound means. It's time to take a peek behind the curtain. You've got a backstage pass to find out what the rest of the audience never knew, hopefully. Uh, this time we're going to talk about that time that Annie flooded. Oh my goodness. <laughs> do you remember this? Yeah, I do. I don't, well, I don't, I don't have a first-hand memory of it because I did not know it was happening because I was sitting in the balcony. Oh my gosh. Yeah, well, because this was during a performance. This was opening night. Uh, so it was, the 2019 season was actually the end of 2018. It was December 2018, just before the holidays, and we were performing the musical Annie at the State Theater. What's, what month was it? It was December. It was before the holidays? Yeah, 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 before yeah, it the was holidays. just a couple days before. Um, and so we, it was, it was a bizarrely warm December, thank you, climate change. But we had a rainstorm on opening night. And, and it was like a real Ithaca rainstorm, the ones that just don't let up. It was like a car wash. Yeah. And if you've never... A deluge. Oh. <laughs> that was a good word. Deluge. If you're not familiar with the state theater, so when you're sitting in the audience and you're looking at the nice, beautiful, big stage in this gorgeous historic theater, there's a rolling door at the back of the, of the stage. If you're on the stage facing the audience, it's the upstage left. That means away from the audience and to the left. There's a rolling door, and that's how they load in equipment. Uh, you know, whether it's scenery or sound equipment for bands, things like that. And so uh, we kept scenery in the alley outside of that rolling door for the show because there wasn't enough room backstage. There's no wings. It was not a theater. that was. It was a theater built for, um, for small acts that traveled. Vaudeville. Vaudeville, yep. They were never anticipating no a cast of 60 students and scenery and furniture and props and things like that. So, Power suits. And so in order to have room for everything that we needed to have for the show, we just had a bunch of stuff out in the alley. And we even had like little portable pop-up tents and things like that to protect things in the alley just in case. Those tents were not prepared for a monsoon, which no. is what we had. Yeah, and I mean, also when you think about where when you think about where the backdrop was compared to the door we're talking like a foot yeah like feet like le like less than the length of a body and it was just the water was just coming in well and i remember sitting in the audience because i would do my curtain speech and then i go sit in the audience to watch the show i i don't have any active role during the performances um because i'm just the i'm, I'm the director my job is over by that point and so i was sitting in the audience blissfully unaware of what was happening backstage, which not only included, um, you know, the students suddenly scrambling around going, there's water, there's water, what's going to happen? And then our costume designer for that show, Ms. Candice Wade, heroically, in her beautiful opening night gown that she was wearing, dressed to the nines, I heard stories after the fact of her literally on her hands and knees mopping water with whatever piece of fabric she can find just to try to keep it from getting onto the stage. It makes my stomach churn thinking about it. Now, I'm glad I had no idea it was happening. Me too. When it was happening. But, you know, that's for me, that's just an example of, like, what happens in theater. Candice's job was to do costumes. And she did it, and she did it beautifully, and it was opening night, and therefore she didn't have a job to do because her work was already done. And yet, there was something that needed to get done, and so she just literally rolled up her sleeves and got down on the ground 
mopping water away from the stage to keep the, the place from going under. Um, while we're just talking about Annie, this was no longer about uh, the floodwaters rising, but I just I have to take a moment to remember dear well, Carter. Well, you know, it, just like Miss Candice was doing a job that wasn't hers, Carter refused to do the job that was his. <laughs> Let's explain. So, um, dear Carter, uh, Carter played Sandy the dog. Um, and in fact, uh, Tori, who played Annie, Carter was her family dog. And we thought, this, what better match could there be? You know, Carter was not a professional trained show dog. Professional he, dog. He wasn't a professional dog. He was a family dog. He was a, yeah. And the sweetest dog. Very, oh my gosh, sweet. he was a lovely, sweet, sweet little boy. Um, and so there is the part in the show where Annie has just found Sandy the dog. Uh, first of all, Sandy is normally played by a tan colored dog and that's why the dog is named Sandy. Carter was a, a black lab mix. So did not look apart. And I feel like the backstory that we came up with with Tori yeah. was that he had sand in his fur. Oh, you're close. She said something like, we call him Sandy because he smells like low tide at the beach. Something like that. It was that. something like that. Yeah. yeah. But then there's the part where the, the you know, the, the dog catcher is like, hey, kid, you know, is that your dog? And she's like, yeah, that's my dog. And the, the, the police officer is like, well, if that's your dog, why don't you call him and see if he comes when you call him? And we never knew exactly what was going to happen. And so the opening night, which you can't rehearse a dog having, knowing what's going to happen when 600 people are in the audience. Right, like before you recommend treats and, you know, rehearsing that we did all that. We had treats, we rehearsed the scene, we were in the theater. But it's Bye. different when suddenly there's hundreds of people making noise, having smells, like being interesting to a dog. And let me tell you, opening night, Carter nailed it like a champ. And he was like, Sandy, come here, boy. And Carter goes right over, and the whole audience cheers, and it's fabulous. And then Carter decided his work there was done. Gone. He wanted to be nowhere on, like anywhere else besides on stage. And so when we... Uh, for the successive performances, for the next performances, Carter would, you would go maybe the other direction, or he wouldn't do anything. Just dragging poor teeny tiny Tori all <laughs> over the stage. And then James, who was playing the police officer, had a line where when Carter didn't listen, he'd go, yeah, my dog never listens to me at home either. Yeah, it's clearly your dog. It's a great ad lib that covered it up. What a smart thing to say, too. Just off the cuff. And well, it's like we were saying earlier, you got to be ready to improvise when the unexpected happens. It's a skill you learn in theater. Which is good in a lot of different situations. True enough. When we come back, we have somebody who has spanned the decades in RGP, uh, Miss Anya Gibeon. So that's going to be a treat for us to talk with her. So grab yourself a Rice Krispie treat out in the lobby and we'll catch you after intermission. Take five, everybody. Thank you, five. Thanks, five. Thank you, five. The R2P Podcast, like participation for the kids and tickets to our shows for everyone is totally free. This is only possible with the support of our R2 patrons, who, for as little as five bucks a month, get access to a whole host of thank yous and goodies, including the full extended two-act version of this podcast, although we're making that available for everybody for now. You'll also receive the full heart that comes from making theater accessible to everyone in our community. Become an R2 patron today by visiting runningtoplaces.org slash join. That's runningtoplaces.org slash join. 
We're sponsored this week and every week of 2022 by our friends over at Tompkins Trust Company. Do you know who they are, Joey? I do know who they are, besides the fact that that's where my mortgage sits uh, and where I do my banking because they're really nice and they do a really good job. And they also really, really support the community and organizations and lots of nonprofits just like ours. So if you get a chance to go over there and thank them for bringing R2P podcast to your ears, please do so. There's so many community organizations and events that you see Tompkins Trust Company's name and logo associated with. They really believe in supporting the community. In fact, uh, I just saw, I just got an email from them because I'm on their mailing list as a customer that they're changing their name to Tompkins Community Bank. Have you heard this? I did. I also got the same alert because they have my money too. (laughs) To me, that makes it so clear that their emphasis is on the community. They give back to the community in so many different ways. They have been sponsors and supporters of Running to Places for so many years. And we're just so proud to have their support. So thank you so much to our friends at Tompkins Trust Company. If you are looking to uh, buy a house or a car or build your future investments and things that you want to achieve all of your financial dreams, just stop down to any branch of Tompkins Trust Company and someone there will be able to point you in the right direction and help you out and make your dreams come true. And we're back. I hope everyone enjoyed their Rice Krispie Treats out in the lobby. But now it is time for the interview section of our podcast. You know, Tucker, theater is an ensemble art. It takes a lot of people coming together to make it happen. So we're going to chat with someone who loves theater like we do. It's time to run lines with Anya Gibeon. Music, 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 music. Hey, Anya. Hello. So you've you've been, you're back in town for the moment, aren't you? I am back in town. Yes, back in Ithaca, where I grew up and uh, was a founding ensemble member of Running to Places. Ooh, like very, very first show, first very season. first show, first season. Actually, three shows in the first season. Yeah, back when we did, we did six shows, season one, 2008. Yes. Ambitious. You were, you were actually one of the first people who ever knew about Running to Places. Do you know that? Yes. Yes. Because yes. you were my mentor on my senior project. Oh, that's right. Which was yes. a show that I directed and produced and hustled to what make show? it happen. It was called Literally Literary, and it was about a character who was unnamed in a poem that had to go on a journey with Odysseus to find her way back to her book. That is the most Anya Gibeon summary I've ever heard. Um, for folks who, who haven't had the pleasure of knowing and meeting Anya Gibeon, yes, uh, Anya was one of our original founding members. You and I go back before RTP, as you were just saying, with your senior project, but I remember working with you, getting to know you when uh, doing Next Generation at the Hangar. This is like 20 trillion, years ago. Literally 100,000 years ago. Yes. Today, actually, marks yes. 100,000. <laughs> um, but I remember when I first uh, got the idea to start running to places, and I was like, how, what, who, is anyone going to... I remember I was driving down Cayuga Street, and you were walking with a group of friends, I think Travis Jones, probably. Probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember rolling down my window and being like, Anya, I'm starting a theater company. You guys should audition. <laughs> then you did. Yeah. I was really happy about that. 
We've since do recruiting in a different way. <laughs> it's yeah. It, there's 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 less you know shouting uh, out the windows. Less drive drive by yeah, auditions. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Kid, you're in. You're hired. Although in COVID time, I think drive by auditions like is actually Ooh, an idea to discuss. Surely someone has done that. Yes. Already. Yes. <laughs> sure. Like in your driveway, we come by, give you, us your best sixteen right. and yep. a tap break. Well, yep. I was picturing Great. sort of. I was picturing sort of like you pull up to the window and it's like you do your monologue and then it's like Shh, okay, pull up to the second window for your song <laughs> that's what i would do anyway but uh yeah so you were there literally at the very beginning um mm-hmm. fame our very first show january 2008 but i want to get into a little bit of what happened show number two yes a month later what show was that that was the importance of being earnest Ooh. which we yeah. did in like eight days yeah literally yeah like the, the rehearsal schedule because it's a three-act show and i remember one sunday we got together and rehearsed act one and then second Sunday, we blocked Act 2. And then next Sunday, we blocked Act 3. And then we teched it for a few days. And then we ran it for three days. Yeah, over winter break. That was impossible. That didn't happen. Like, no, and it was my first time being in like a small cast straight show. Because up until then, it's been like all like school shows or camp shows, which are huge yeah. full cast musicals. And, you know, or mainly, yeah, full cast musicals or, or shows that have expanded ensembles, which obviously is amazing and awesome but to be in such a tight group it was like what eight to Uh, ten of characters and it was like a great group and we like committed to being off book we did the whole thing there was no cuts we did the whole three acts and like oscar wilde doesn't mess around with dialogue you can't it's like what are you going to improvise iambic pentameter in shakespeare like are you going to improvise better dialogue than oscar wilde wrote it was precise like i i this is my first time getting line notes it was like, um, you added an and. I'd be like, <laughs> Who gave you the line notes? Uh, Rory Dean, okay. who was our assistant director. That's right. Mm-hmm. Who was also a student? Who was also a student, yes. Oh, so. we, were both, we, were cur- we were currently cast as the witch and the baker's wife in Into the Woods in the musical over at the high school right. at and the same who, time. Who were you? The yes. witch or the baker's wife? Well, you guess. Oh, I mean, the baker's wife. No. No? Oh, you're so Baker's wifey to oh, me. Thank you. Yeah, but the witch is a much better part. So um, I did the witch's greens rap last night while making dinner with my brother, still from memory. And you got them all. Oh yeah. It's nice. it's one of the you don't forget it. I've never forgotten. Can it. you give I, us a piece? I could do the whole thing. Well, uh, well, for copyright reasons, we probably shouldn't. But. Fine. Beans, beans, the special beans. I let him go. I didn't know he'd stolen my beans. I was watching him crawl back over the wall, and then bang, crash! The lightning flashed him. Well, that's another story. Never mind. Anyway, last big day came. <laughs> she made me claim I would take away the baby. They shrieked and screeched, but I did, and I hit her will. She'll never be reached. Your father cried, and your mother died. And for extra measure, I admit it was a pleasure. I said, "Sorry, I'm still not mollified," and I laid a little spell on them. You too, son. That your family tree would always be a barren one. Anyways, I could keep <laughs> that's going, amazing. <laughs> Anya, give me it, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah, I want to go back to, to Ernest, just thinking about the fact that, yeah, we, we that show went up in like seven days. And it's not like you had like a specific plan for how it went. It wasn't like we were, this was an existing production that we were slotting into tracks. Yeah. Like this was a from scratch thing that we created as 17 year olds. I, I yeah. don't think it would have, like it just, I obviously wasn't there, but it sounds like it wouldn't have happened if you guys didn't, as a group of young people decide together like we're gonna do this all the way we're gonna know all the lines all the words because that's that's amazing um first of all why would you do the whole thing secondly <laughs> I, you know I, the, 
Hearing, hearing Tucker, your question and Anya, your observations about it, it makes me realize how much I think we were able to achieve in those early days, especially because we didn't know what we shouldn't do or wasn't possible, and so we just did it. Yeah, like this had all been like decided, like fame had happened. And like looking back on fame, it was like, how did that show happen? It's still like, 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 like it was like a hundred people's collective, like, yes, (laughs) that happened and it happened. And then it was like a month later, it's like, oh, and we're also doing this three act straight play in eight days. Yep. Where was, where were these plays? I would like to so uh, Fame was performed at Ithaca High School Culp Auditorium. Before the renovation. Before the renovation, that's right. Yeah, so that made a couple of things trickier. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we did Importance of Being Earnest at BJM, which is... Which I, you love that spot. I always describe it as the best kept secret in Ith- Ithaca. I think it's it's the most beautiful theater, ornate proscenium arch, like the, the vintage seats in the balcony. It's like gorgeous, yeah. And, and the library. And perfect for, for a literary work like mm-hmm. The Importance of Being Earnest. But one of my other favorite moments of it was uh, the fact that because it's primarily a library and not a theater, and so you can't black it out. There's no curtains. Right. And so we had some basic lighting, but it's not really a very tech-heavy show. Uh, but on our Sunday matinee, it was during the day. <laughs> and I remember Anya just subtly adjusting her blocking. You'd so, see- so the sun was like right in my eyes for like a good 20 minutes. I was like sitting on this chair, just like inching slowly to be like, don't go blind, don't go blind. <laughs> but I was like, we're trying to get kids to find their light. Anya was trying to find her way out of it. <laughs> but the awareness, that's what counts. That's what's important in her present. Yes. Like uh, that awareness that you had in urine town when I was slightly upstage or you were slightly downstage in a certain scene and you thought I wasn't there. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you were supposed to hand me a briefcase and you started ad-libbing like you thought I wasn't there. <laughs> and I went, I was like, oh no, oh no, Joey thinks I'm not on stage. He's, he's, he's panicking. <laughs> hey, this is a story I've never heard, Joey. Well, just to, just to put it in context, so... Yes, this was after uh, Anya had graduated, because you, we only had you as a company member for the one year before you had the nerve to go off and graduate. Right. Uh, but then years later, we did uh, Town, the musical, which is not a terribly well-known musical, but my gosh, it's a funny and brilliant one. Yeah, it's good. Um, and we had cast that show. We had auditions for it in the fall, but the show didn't go up until the end of the following summer. This is when we had auditions once a year, not twice a year. This is part of the reason we moved to twice a year. <laughs> It was because by the time we got ready to start rehearsing You're in Town, uh, we found out that basically like it was like all the boys were on a chorus trip to Europe that summer and weren't going to be there. So they all <laughs> dropped out en masse. And so we had to emergency fill all of these roles right as we were getting ready to begin. So we decided we'd make it a concept. And alumni from R2P would come back as the employees of the evil corporation at the center of the plot. And then as the head of the evil corporation, the most evil, head evil person, uh, we had me do it. <laughs> so I was, the, I was the head of the evil older people, which is to say the alums. And so Anya, yes, you were, you were one of those. I think that's the only show we've done together in the cast. Oh my gosh, that's true, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. We should totally we should do, do another a, show. We should do another show. Yeah. I mean, we always talk about doing, doing uh, alumni shows and stuff. So yes, yes, we did have a good time in, in town. 
me covering for your missed entrance. I was there <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, you were. <laughs> My memory of, of being in Urinetown uh, for that, which, you know, because I, I was sort of co-directing it with, with, uh, with the choreographer so that we could sort of share responsibilities because I was in, you know, scenes and it wasn't practical for me to direct. And so by the time I got to opening night, I realized that I had not spent adequate time getting myself mentally prepared for my own performance. I remember, uh, you know, my first entrance, I had my back to the audience, and then I, you know, I'm leaning on this table and I turn around or this big reveal, whatever. Um, and I remember the first night I turned around and still had one hand on the table because I was unconvinced I wouldn't fall over. <laughs> And the second night, I had my hand on for a little bit less time, and my big victory was that by the third performance, I wasn't holding onto the table at all. And part of what I remember learning about that, that we would kind of explore later on when, when we did Music Man, Tucker, you know, Were you just standing, time, holding onto the table? Yeah. And you funny. were nervous that just turning around yep. while you're standing that yep. you would fall over? Yes. Okay. I don't, and I don't know if it was like loss of balance or passing out or just the earth spinning <laughs> under me. I don't Got know. You. I was not prepared to stand. It was August at the State Theater. It was quite hot. That, oh, this yeah. oh, I'm going to blame soon. it on yeah. that. Sure, that was the reason. Um, but I just, it, it made me appreciate so much more what it is that we ask all of you to do in terms of like learning a three-act serious straight play in seven days or you know learning all that blocking and choreography well it prepared me very well to be a last minute replacement swing on a national tour and not have any rehearsal or put in or have done the show at all all the way through until until, until my debut when yeah. i was in front of a packed house in uh, Missouri. Why yeah. don't we talk about that a little Montana. bit more? It's Montana. Those are very different places in the country. It's Billings, uh, Billings Montana. I also, I also went on in Missouri a couple times. What, what show was that on you? So that was the musical Once. I've heard of it. Yes. Uh, I was on the uh, national tour, the second national tour. And you played instruments in it, yeah. Played right. instruments, yep. Actor, musician, musical. So every single person in the show plays all the music. And what did um, you play? I played the cello and guitar, so I understudied the bank manager, which was a role originally played by a man um, and originated by a man until the second national tour, which, um, as you're familiar with national tours, they do the exact Broadway show, so right. lots of things are very set. Um, but they had recast the bank manager to be a woman, um, and so I was the second woman to play the bank manager because I was her understudy. That's very exciting. So you've done so many different things in your life, some of which have obviously been theater, you know, others of which may not have anything to do with theater. I'm just curious, what did you feel you learned doing theater that helped you in your theater career and also your non-theater career? Yeah, um, I have so many special skills, like, and and have had so many jobs, the like too many jobs. The bottom of resume is very heavy. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and I really think that, like, if you are a company and you are privileged enough to hire like an actor or stage manager or someone who's worked in the theater, like you have no idea that you're getting someone who's like way highly qualified for whatever you're going to put them through. Because the stress and pressure of like performing or being a part of a thing that is like ephemeral but also like vitally important, such as like making a performance, even if it's only for a weekend or, or maybe if it's for like, you know, a show that runs for five years. Um, like the attention to detail, like all of the things that you need, the consistency, the like awareness of yourself and other people, both physically and emotionally and working as a team, like all of those skills 
are like so valuable in other places. And it's really hard, I think, to train those skills, Mm -hmm. all of those skills in like a way that is not sort of an arts-based or team-based thing. Um, Yeah, for me, I've always thought that one of the things that theater teaches most that's kind of subtlest is um, everyone learning what their job is and therefore what it isn't. Um, you know, the, the costume designer doesn't have to worry if an actor is getting a line wrong. You know, the, the lighting designer doesn't necessarily have to worry about, you know, whether the, the time steps will all come together. Um, everyone, Although, yeah. I will say that being such a collaborative medium, hopefully the costume designer is aware of the choreography that is yes. expected to be performed in these costumes. And the lighting designer is also aware of where people are on the stage and where they need to see where they're going. So there's that like awareness of everything else, even if it's not your responsibility. Be like, I know what everyone else is doing enough so that it informs me, which I think is great also in an organization to be like, cool, I know that's not my responsibility, but I'm aware that you're supposed to do it and we can do it together, (laughs) make sure it happens. I I wanna also just reminisce about the time that we did Romeo and Juliet, which was one of my favorite things. That That is your favorite thing. It is my favorite thing, and I probably talked about it once before, ever, maybe? Maybe. You or, brought it up one time. Please stop rolling your eyes so loud on the podcast, Tucker. <laughs> the microphones are going to break. Um, but yeah, so when we did that show, uh, and and I was so delighted that you were there as assistant director. Ooh, um, nice. Was this after you graduated high school? Yeah, so I was at Cornell. So I stayed around and um, was the first assistant director for Running to Places that second season when Joey was in a show. And had oh, to leave. oh, right, right. <laughs> I was in a play. I was in yeah. a play at the kitchen theater, and we were doing Once Upon a Mattress. Mm-hmm. And I would occasionally be like, uh, "Anya, I got to go do a matinee. Can you block the next scene? Great. See you. Bye." And there was literally no one else in the world that I could think of that I would have trusted at that moment, to, you know, to do that. And there were scenes in the play, the the the, the oh, they were like really good, and you were like, oh, "Where did these come <laughs> from?" Oh no! But seriously, <laughs> here's the thing: like there were there were scenes in the play that I was like. I literally don't know the mechanics of how that intricate blocking works because I never knew it because I never had to do it and I was so glad. Like it wasn't a coincidence that I, I stuck you with that scene, you know, when I had to go do a matinee, but I was so Save glad. Save the really hard ones. Oh, I was like, yeah, yeah peace out. year old. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so then we worked on Romeo and Juliet together. Uh, and, and I remember we would rehearse that one. This is before we had a, uh, a home for rehearsing at the Just Because Center where we're recording right now. And so we would rehearse. I remember rehearsing that one in the middle of DeWitt Park. Um, and, and having, there was something that felt just so vital about it that it was, you know, teenagers playing teenagers. I always think it's so weird when there's, you know, 40-year-olds playing Romeo and Juliet. It's just decisions that teenagers make and it doesn't make sense if they're grown-ups making these decisions. And so having teenagers running around the park, like it felt, it felt so real. It felt so vital in a way that, you know, Romeo and Juliet usually doesn't. And there were so many moments that I was so grateful to have you as part of it because you being a teenager yourself, well, maybe not at that moment, you might have just, you know, left teenagerness. Um, but you were able to relate uh, to, to the students in ways that, you know, me and my, my old age was not. Uh, at that time, and I was just so grateful to have you as a bridge communicator, where you knew the big picture and you knew the adult responsibilities and the 
the mentoring aspect of it, but could still speak to them where they were at. And, and I think you brought out so many things in their performances that never would have been there otherwise. Oh, thanks. Did you do theater at Cornell? I did. Mm-hmm. But as uh, in class, did you like audition for shows? Did you take theater yep. classes there? Yeah. So I so I started as um, industrial labor relations, and I in high school I was like, oh, I really love performing, but I also really love mock trial, and I think I want to be a lawyer and change the world and Ooh. make everything better and fair. Um, and then sort of second year of Cornell, I was like, man, I really miss theater. I'll just take some acting classes. Um, ended up studying abroad in Prague and taking classes at the film school there. And I'd also done some student films and stuff in um, at Cornell. And uh, just like had a really great experience and had a, someone there who um, whose parents were like professional filmmakers and he was like, you're like one of the most professional actors I've seen on set and I've like been on real sets. And that was like the one person to like say what I needed to hear, I think. And I was like, great, I'm gonna do it. Um, so I like, took so I basically I, I completed my ILR degree and I took all the required classes, but I took everything else I could um, theater wise. So nice. acting and uh, adaptation and theatricality taught by Beth Millis, um, which really changed my worldview of like, oh, I can create stories even if there's things that there's that like, stories that already exist, but I have a point of view that I want to add to them, and I'm gonna mold it and pull it and push it and stretch it and like fit my vision into this already existing story um and really started my like verve to create and tell stories um and then had a really some really great friends at Cornell and we ended up uh creating a site-specific immersive show at the A.D. White House um, our senior year, which was about Andrew Dixon White and his family merged with uh, Henry IV. I was really inspired by Sleep No More because I loved Sleep No More. Mm-hmm. I was like really inspired by that whole like movement telling the story, but the audience can go where they want. And the environment is immersive and you can see it. And like if something's not like exciting, you can go find something else. And there's music um, and not a lot of text, but like clues if you want to find them. So we had like hidden all of these like letters that Andrew Dixon White had written. And his life is in like so interesting and, and weird um, and cool. Can you talk more about being a creator? You've been an actor, you've been a director, you've been a musician. Uh, what are you doing these days to, to stretch your artistic itches? Yeah, so the pandemic has obviously shut down a lot of performance. Um, I've been auditioning for some things, but I haven't booked anything. Um, I have been working on some plays and a musical that I'm writing um, and composing and writing all the songs for, and it's a lot of work to do with one person, but I'm currently doing it. Um, And I've been adapting this um, other uh, Russian play by Maxim Gorky into a post-apocalyptic, pre-revolutionary future comment on the bourgeoisie. Oh, that old chestnut. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like you fair. do. If I had a nickel for every one of those. It's currently four acts, and it needs to be less. <laughs> it's very long. Um, and then I'm actually, so I've, I've come back to this, the show that I was just talking about senior year, which was very, like, movement-based, um, but I've, I've recently sort of come back to the same story and writing it as a play. Um, and fitting in language and and definitely a different perspective 10 years later. So what do you do if you 
can't collaborate and you can't motivate, do you have techniques that you use to sort of like get yourself up and working? Yeah. I don't know if all of them are very effective, but I've got some that I've been trying. <laughs> um, one thing that I was really helpful to me was to um, sort of schedule out a time to write every day. Um, over the summer, I was writing outside, which was great because both like it was nice to be outside and I could turn my internet off and like not be like, you know, not have any sort of distraction um, and just let myself sort of have nature. And like if I needed to look at the trees for two minutes before moving on to the next word, then I could. Um, I've also have people that I trust and um, want their opinions on on things, and I will tell them that I'm going to get them pages. You know, like set myself deadlines. Give yourself accountability. With, yeah, with some sort of yeah. accountability person, um, which works like half the time. Okay, that's yeah. pretty good. Still, half the time's pretty good. Yeah. Do you have a, a either a self-imposed or external deadline for? Finishing any of the things? Do you have a yeah. debut? When, when's your musical hitting <laughs> the stage? Yes, um, definitely needs a lot of workshopping. Okay, um, so that's <laughs> that's the first part. Um, so I've been I have applied to a couple of different workshops um, and different like development things, hoping that if I get it, then I have to actually pr produce a you know full draft. Um, have not gotten anything yet, but. It's good to apply. Do you just send samples of works and then they yeah, say, the, yes, we're interested in seeing more of this? Yeah. So d generally it's like sort of a 15-page sample, like three songs, a synopsis, creator bios, um, other sort of things. And then if you sort of make it to the next round, then they want more, more information. Well, nice. But good luck with that. Thanks. I didn't get the last one. <laughs> There's a lot of really, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there, like, I know so many people that are working on really cool projects, so there's just not enough, like, development opportunity, I think, for, yeah. especially in the pandemic where it's, like, hard to bring people together in a room. But I do hope maybe R2P would be a great incubator. We do know fabulous talented people who probably would be yeah. eager and itching to do a reading of something. I'm sure. Uh, mine's got some adult themes. I was about to ask, what's this musical about? <laughs> this is not, I mean, there's there's that, but there's also other, there, it, this is, so I'm writing a musical about, um, uh, it's about a historical slash legendary female pirate in the 1870s in New York who stole a boat and sailed up and down the Hudson River ransoming farmers and terrorizing them. That's amazing. Um, and it's also about like women and their friendships and relationships and competition and also like when violence is justified and what is justice in like a violent world. It takes place in the Lower East Side in Manhattan in the 1870s, like right after the Civil War where there's like the heyday of like violent gangs roaming the streets. Again, just some really light fare yes. for, for, for the musical theater connoisseurs. Perfect for children. Yep, great. I, you know, Romeo and Juliet is about teenagers doing... That's true. There's a lot of violence in the streets, Romeo and Juliet. That's all I'm saying. Okay. They, they terrorize okay. farmers and... Right? Isn't that that one? Yeah, we just don't like to say the F word. <laughs> farmers? Farmers, <laughs> farmers. yep. Oh. <laughs> yeah. We do everything but farmers. You're going to have to believe it. Yep. We will, yeah. Well, Anya Gibeon, it is such a pleasure to catch up with you. It has been far too long. We 
are so delighted to hear what you've been up to. Thank you so much for telling us your stories, and we can't wait to hear your actual stories and maybe even do a reading of it at some point. So. Yeah, that'd be great. Can I can I do my uh, my my radio sign off? Oh, please do. For anyone who listened to WICB Best of Broadway in the years two thousand four to two thousand nine, take us out. <laughs> You've been listening to the R2P podcast. I don't know. Do you have, do you have, do you have a sign-off line? Not yet, but no. that might be it. Anya Gibeon, <laughs> thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of the R2P podcast. Drop us a line at podcast at runningtoplaces.org if you have a listener question or with whatever else is on your mind. On behalf of Tucker and me and the rest of the R2P family, thanks for joining us. And thank you to Tompkins Trust Company and our R2 patrons who support us and make all things R2P totally free for everyone. I'm Joey Steenhagen, and scene. You've been listening to the R2P Podcast.